0: Thank God for offenses. Good morning, Victory. Hey, guys. Hey, let's welcome all of our family. We got people from Netherlands, Jamaica, and Ghana today. What's up, everybody? As well as everybody else here scattered in the States. Um, hey, just a few years ago, Summer and I had the opportunity to go to Israel again. We've been, we've been a handful of times. I think that everybody, every Christian should endeavor to go to Israel at some point point. In their life, if you're able, I just promise you, you'll you'll never read the Bible the same way ever again after you have been to Nazareth or, or been in the um, the the Garden of Gethsemane or, or stood on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. But uh, very quickly, all right, after you arrive in Israel, you discover that you are not in Kansas. Any longer, Toto, right? Like, um, you, you start seeing things that you don't normally see here in America. There's like fences and barbed wire and soldiers and tanks. I don't know how often you're around tanks, but uh, but it's because you're in one of the, probably maybe the most um political hotbed of historic conflict in the history of the world, you're in that place right there. And in fact, one thing in particular caught our attention uh, before too long when we were there um, in Israel. We were actually on the shore of the Sea of Galilee on the, on the far side, and uh, we, were, we were actually at the site where Jesus cast the, the legion of demons out of a man, and we turned around and we saw this sign. Now, I, like you, had never seen one of these signs in Atlanta, <laughs> landmines. <laughs> and and there's just, just kind of like a little shock, sort of a moment, right? There's a nice fence. They're on the other side of that. We're safe over here, right? And so we're, we're hearing this story of how Jesus liberated this man. And, and then we're hearing the historical uh, part about how Syria left the landmines here in the, in the 60s and Israel just hasn't gotten around to clearing them yet. And then I look to my right and one of the families uh, that had come with us had brought their nine-year-old son. And his teenage sister has picked him up And he's leaning out over the fence to try and grab something. And I go into like, it's like action movie mode. I'm like, right? And and I run over there. I, I can't, oh my God. I'm just imagining what's about to happen, right? And it's like. What are you doing? And I grab him and I yank him back and there's explosions in the background. I'm just kidding. And (laughs) running off with him, slow motion action scene. And I just think to myself, one, what in the world are you doing? But two, thank God for fences. How many of you know that fences are a good thing? Sometimes these boundary lines can separate us life and death. That it's safe out here, dangerous in there. Thank God for fences. And we see this at the very beginning, right? Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God placed the man Adam in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him. Listen, whenever God warns you, you better listen. You may freely eat, this is what God said, you may freely eat the fruit of every, everybody say every, every Every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And here at the very beginning, God draws a fence between Adam and Eve and this tree. He draws a fence. And what he says is, it's safe here, dangerous in there. And a lot of people get all, you know, smart and theological, and they're like, well, exactly what was this tree? It doesn't matter. Tree equals death. God said, don't touch it or you're going to die. Don't eat it. Don't get involved in it. Don't cross this fence. Now, here's the thing. Boundaries weren't very popular back then either right? And so the the enemy knows that. The enemy knows the people just, it's in our heart not to like boundaries. So he elbows his way into the conversation. And he's like, hey, Eve, come on. It's it's a tree. What's it going to do to you? Come on, can we just, come on, Eve, can we acknowledge that this is dumb? This is dumb, right? Like, why would God say you can't do that? In fact, did he really even say that? Is it really? Come on, it's just fruit. God's holding out on you. And I want us to notice this. This is actually one of the first lessons we learn in the entire Bible, is that the only way Satan could convince Eve to sin was getting her to believe that God's fence wasn't good for her. He told her that God was holding out on her, that God's fence wasn't life-giving. God's fence wasn't good for her, but obviously it was a lie. There was a minefield in there, and the rest is history. And here's what we have to arrive at. This is what's going to set us up, that even when we don't understand why, we have to trust that the fences that God puts in place are there because he loves us, because he cares for us, and because what's on the other side of that fence is a minefield that will destroy us. And last week, okay, last week, we talked about how whenever there are things that are holy, fences are already are always involved, right? Because God puts fences in between things that are holy and things that aren't holy to separate those two things. In fact, that's pretty much the definition of holy. Holy here in Hebrews, kadosh, which means to be set apart for a special purpose. Being holy is not about going to Catholic school. Being holy is not about being a Puritan. Being holy is about being set apart for a special purpose. And so as we're tracking through the Bible, right, the first thing that we arrive at that's holy is what we talked about last week, is time. But in fact, it's not just any sort of time. What God does, he actually takes time of these seven days, and he draws a fence between the six days and 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 the seventh day. He draws a fence right there, and he says that this time is good, but this time is holy. Why? Because it's set apart from the rest of the time. And so God takes a day and also a mindset and he calls it the Sabbath, which is rest. And so he draws a fence there. And as we're continuing on in the scripture, the first thing that we find is holy is is time. The second thing that we find is holy is you, is you and I. Leviticus 19, I know you haven't read Leviticus probably since your Bible reading plan when you stalled out at Leviticus. Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, cruising along. Leviticus is like, what just happened? Here's what he says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. God says, be holy. Because I am holy. God is the one and only holy God. He is set apart from everything else. He is different. He is unique. He is other than. He is pre existent. Come on, that God existed trillions of eons without end before anything even began. He is infinite. He is unchanging. He is unique. His value is is supreme. His character is impeachable. He is infinite love and infinite justice and infinite righteousness. He hates evil. He is a consuming fire. God comes against everything that is wicked to burn it up because in him is only perfection. In him is only light. There is no shifting shadow. There is no turning in God. God is true and righteous and holy and just in all of his ways. Yet He looks on us with mercy and grace so much that he would pursue lost, wretched, dying, dust, sinners like us to save us through the mercy and the grace of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And even right now, the angels are encircling his throne. They always were, they are, they always will be. And they're shouting out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're saying, God, you are set apart. You are different, you're not like all the little G gods like all the other nations worship. You're not made of wood, you're not made of stone. You're bigger than my emotions. You're bigger than political leaders. You sit alone, (laughs) enthroned above it all. And this God looks at us six times in Leviticus and he says, be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. And in fact, if you need the cliff notes, why does Leviticus matter? (laughs) Here's why Leviticus matters. Because the entire book is God telling the Hebrew people, be holy, be different, be set apart, be unique. In fact, I'm going to tell you all the ways that you need to be different. That's what Leviticus is. Here's all the ways that you need to be different from the nations around you because I wanna reveal myself to the nations through you. So you can't be like them, you have to be different. You have to come out and be separate. You can't worship the same gods, do the same sins, be in the same mess. You have to be different. All these nations practice magic. Magic had sexual immorality, sacrificed their children. And God says, that's a minefield. Don't get in that. That's a way of death. I wanna rescue you from that. And so I put a fence between you and all that mess. Come out and be separate. Be different like I am different. Be unique like I am unique. Be in it, but not of it. Be separate. And then God takes that same call, and he puts it on us. And Peter echoes this, 1 Peter 1, 14, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Come on, somebody. You didn't know any better back then, but now you do. But now you must be holy. And everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. You have to be set apart because I'm set apart. Now, some of you are saying like, wait a second. I thought when I became a Christian, I could just live however I wanted to. And you know, the whole whole Jesus thing would forgive me and I'm just fine. I'm sorry, whoever led you in that prayer lied to you. Here, 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 let me let me find the best way I know how. Here's the here's the best way of putting this. Hebrews ten fourteen, for by one sacrifice the sacrifice of Jesus Christ God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Oh, that's such good news! Come on, somebody, can we get our minds around this? That because of the blood of Jesus, in God's eyes, you are perfect forever. Come on, you are saved by grace through faith alone. It's not by works or else we could brag about it. We did not earn our salvation. When we say yes to Christ, there is a DNA transfer that happens. I get the blood of Jesus in my spiritual veins. That when God looks at me, he sees me as though I have the righteousness of Christ. That my sins have been as separated as far from me as the east is from the west. That God has forgotten my sins and remembers them no more. So I have been made perfect forever but you know you ain't righteous come on you know you you look at your life you look at your thoughts you look at your the, what you do with your hands and your feet and so you've been made perfect you are seated with christ in heavenly heavenly places you've been made perfect but you're being made holy you're being made holy every day god's working on you a little bit more Come on, it's, it's like if, if Michelangelo had that, that block of marble in his living room. Every time he walks by and chisels a little bit more, he has this vision of what he wants to create. God, when he sees you, has this vision of what he's creating, of who he's making you. He's working on you a little bit more, making you a little bit more like Jesus every single day, a little bit more like this, a little bit more like that. You are not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world. Come on, he's changing the way you think about money. He's changing the way you think about sexuality. Come on, somebody, he's changing the way that you think about politics. He's changing us, right? Because we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are perfect, but we're being made holy. You are being made holy as God is holy. He's purifying you. He's changing you. He he loves you just like you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you that way, right? Like he's changing you and making you more like Jesus. That's not in a puritanical way. That's not in a Catholic church sort of way with a little outfit. It's not in a list of do's and don'ts sort of way. No and his kindness. Listen, holiness is not about rules and regulations. It's about relationship. It's about revival. It's about a heart coming alive with love for God. Holiness is about being set apart. Holiness is about affirming that God's fences are good, that they're life-giving, they're right, that we trust them. See, but here's the reality, right? Here's what's happened, is we are living in a world once again, that celebrates defying God's fences, celebrates it. Listen, everybody, we've always defied God's fences, right? You know what I'm saying? But but it seems like things go in cycles. And we've now arrived back in this place as a country where we celebrate it. We celebrate defying God's fences, saying, God, I, I know God says, hey, that's off limits. Not only am I gonna step over it, hey, everybody celebrate it. See, Psalm 2, we've read this before, but it so, it's, it's describes us perfectly. The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And they say, let us break their chains and free ourselves from slavery to God. See, they see God's fences as restrictive instead of freeing. They see him as death instead of life. But God, the one who rules in heaven, laughs. And the Lord scoffs at them because he knows it's a minefield. He's like, I already told you, it's a minefield. In fact, there's a sign on it. You've heard it before. You know it's death, and you're going to go in there and celebrate it. I scoff at you. I laugh at you because it's your own human wisdom. Because there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And the world jumps headfirst into sin and says, "Isn't our freedom great? Come on, now we can do whatever we want to. We're not trapped in the stone age of the Bible." right we're not we're not trapped in the in the way that yeah this fairy tale um fair, fairy daddy up in the up in the sky right the santa claus of this guy we're freed from him right yeah i know my marriage is a wreck my kids are going crazy i live by the roller coaster of my emotions people are committing suicide left and right our nation's never been more divided anger and violence are breaking out the whole world's going to hell but we are right and god is wrong we are right And God is wrong, and we live in a world where boundaries are despised because the rebellious human heart doesn't like the fact that I'm not God. Because if I'm God, I can decide what I do and what I don't do. But if I obey offense, if I actually acknowledge that that's death, then I have to acknowledge I'm not God. And we live in a world that wants to believe every single person is God, because if I'm God, I can make up my own truth. I'm my own God. Now you have to respect the sphere of my deity. But God has said there is a way that leads to death and there is a way that leads to life. Choose life. Be set apart from the minefield. Come out from it. Don't go that way. And what we're witnessing right now with our very eyes is we're witnessing the chaos of what happens when an entire society buys into the fact that we don't need God's boundaries, we don't need God's fences. We're seeing it in politics. God help us, we're seeing it in politics. We're seeing it in social media. We're seeing it in sexuality. We're seeing it in every single place that we could possibly find it. We're seeing the chaos that breaks out when we defy God's fences. And here, I, 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 I had this, this vision this morning that as society gets darker, holiness gets brighter. Listen, I'm not standing back condemning society because it's already condemned. Right, Jesus didn't come in to condemn the world. He came because the world was already condemned. The world was already going to hell. The world's always been violating the boundaries. I'm not standing back pointing a finger at the boundaries. What I'm saying is this. As we come out from that darkness, the way that we live shines brighter than it's ever shown in our lifetimes. And I believe this. I believe that what God wants us to do is, here's how I'd phrase it, is recapture a vision for Holiness recapture a vision for, in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. Think of it like this. Where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Here's what, it's Here's what it's saying for us. Where there is no vision for holiness, you cast off restraint. Come on, where you have no picture, where you have no vision of why holiness matters, you're gonna walk into the minefield. Because you're like, why, why did God draw this mountain? Oh, it's no big deal. I have to recapture a vision of why I need to be set apart. Because too many in the church, too many Christians have made holiness optional instead of essential. And we need to recapture a vision for holiness. And so I'm not gonna dance around it, I'm gonna come right at it, okay? Why does holiness matter? Why do God's fences matter? I'd say it like this, why is holiness worth protecting? Here's the first thought, is that God wants to save me. (laughs) That's why. God wants to save me from the snowball of sin. God wants to save me. God has already saved us through Christ Jesus, but God wants to save us from the minefield. God wants to save me from the mess. The reason why God draws such dramatic fences uh, uh, and tells us to be separate from the minefield is because sin's appetite is never quenched. Sin never gets full. Sin always wants more. Once you begin down that trail, it gains momentum. Sin snowballs. In fact, Romans 6:19, here this is a scripture that comes to my mind very often, very often. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. And what what Paul is saying right here is whatever path you're on, it will gain momentum. Okay, if you're on the path of righteousness, it will lead towards holiness. If you're on the path of impurity, it will lead to ever increasing, the spiral, the toilet bowl of wickedness. It keeps descending. It keeps getting darker. It keeps getting deeper. It keeps getting worse, right? Because look, look at what happened after the fall in the Garden of Eden, right? You know, the first, the, this first sin is a defile of God. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. The second sin is the firstborn kills the secondborn. Sexual impurity breaks out. The whole world is lost. God has to wipe it away and start again. And then sin just reboots. Why? Because sin snowballs. It's impurity leading to ever increasing wickedness. Listen, but, but we know that, right? <laughs> We've experienced it. Whenever sin began, it was small. Come on, we know sin is sin. But whenever sin began in our lives, it was small. But now it's like a cancer, it's grown. It's metastasized, it's spreading. It's not like it was at the beginning. There, there's almost a, a cry in our own heart that was like, if I could only go back to the beginning, if I could only go back to when the sin was small, because now it's taken over my life. Because when you first begin sin, you have control of it, but in the end, it has control of you. Because sin is not content with you having it, sin wants you. You. Pastor Robert Morris said this, sin will take you farther than you wanna go, keep you longer than you wanna stay, and cost you more than you wanna pay. Anybody ever found that one out before? (laughs) I mean, come on, just look at the world. The, The people think that giving into whatever their heart wants will bring freedom when it actually brings chains. And it brings a complete implosion of the life. And I know the face says one thing, but the inside's empty. This is why people are committing suicide at historic rates in certain populations. Why? Because we think that if I just give my heart everything it's ever wanted... I'll finally be satisfied. But sin is not content with only having some of you. It wants to devour all of you. And sin leads to death. Yes, spiritual death, but also death of your family and death of your soul and death of your joy and death of your calling. And so God draws a fence in his kindness and he puts a sign on it that says, minefield, stay out. Don't go, you don't have to go in there. You don't have to go in there. Don't wander. God wants to save us from the minefield. He wants to save us from the life that spirals into ever-increasing wickedness. But here's what we have to acknowledge, okay? Here's what we have to acknowledge. (laughs) Is that most of us are one fence away from a fall. Most of us are one fence away from a fall. Come on, think about your own life. You're one fence away from a fall. See, here's the thought, guys. A fence A fence, not offense, a fence is only as strong as its weakest section. You've heard that about a chain, right? The chain's only as strong. Like, it doesn't matter if uh, there's 100 links in a chain, 99 of them are titanium. If one of them's like a paperclip, it's gonna come apart, right? Here's the deal. If you have a fence around your backyard, but one of the sections is out, your dog's gonna get out. You can't be like, I got the best fence in the world, except for that one part. Come on, Fido! <laughs> What's wrong with? You? No, it's gonna, come on. If you can have, you can have the best fence separating you from sin. If one section is missing, your purity is gonna get out. Come on, think of it like this. You, you, you can have the best filters and accountability against pornography, but if you know the way around it, the filters don't matter. Come on, the filters don't matter. In fact, I found this quote. (laughs) Think about this. Temptation usually comes in through a door that has been deliberately left open. Like, I don't even know how I got tempted to have sex with my girlfriend. I mean, we were only watching a romantic movie on the couch together alone in the dark. (laughs) I didn't even foresee this happening. Come on, you know. And you can have the best accountability system. You can have the best fences. But if part of it's out, you're gonna compromise. And here's the thought, guys. We may, be, we may be playing patty cake with sin, but it's playing Russian roulette with us. Sin wants to have you. Sin is not playing with you, even though you may be playing with it and be like, oh, let's test it. Oh, I, nothing happened this time. Nothing happened this time. Nothing happened this time. You're wandering through the minefield. And God wants to save you from that. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is today is to go home and, and really just pray and say, God, where, where have my fences gotten worn down? Maybe through COVID. Some things, some areas where you used to be strong in, now you're weak in them. God, I believe that you want to protect. I believe, God, you've called me to be set apart from that mess, but I'm kind of wandering around in the minefield in this area. Maybe you've gotten back into drugs, maybe you've gotten back into sexual morality. Maybe some inappropriate things are happening at work. Maybe, maybe your language has gotten out of control, whatever that is. God, how do I need to rebuild those fences? to keep me out of that. Because you've called me to come out and be separate. What do I need to do? What do I, what do I need to confess? What do I need to ask for help? And in fact, to, you know, last night, <laughs> um, I, I was literally praying this prayer, and I had gotten a new phone uh, a little while back, and for whatever reason, I realized um, that none of the guards that were on my old phone came over to my new phone. Like last night, because I was literally, I was, I was walking in to ask Summer to do something on, and I'm like, what? And so we set it all back up. Because listen, it's not because I'm actively violating it, because I know this. If I have a fence and there, there's, there's a gap in that fence, it's the enemy's gonna wait until I'm tired, worn out, spiritually burned out, whatever that is. And then that fence is, is like this, it's gonna look like this big. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna close up every place where the enemy is tempting me to walk into the minefield. And I wanna come out and I wanna be separate. And God wants to save me from that mess. So why is holiness worth protecting? Because God wants to save me. Here's the second thing. God wants to love me. God wants to love me. The story of the Bible from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, is about God's pursuit of humanity. You know, and the cry of the Father's heart is that we would be with him, that we would love him. And I don't know about you, family, but I wanna have a fiery love for God. I do, there is nothing, God's love is better than life. Come on, come on. God's love is worth it all. God's love is better than wine. I mean, the, the Bible's full of the God's love is better than it all. And what sin does every single time is as that fire is starting to stoke up inside my heart, it takes a bucket of water and throws it on it, right? And you've tasted this, you've felt this, that sin makes your love grow cold. Sin, sin tries to put out that fire. Sin causes your heart to shrink. Right, You're like, yes, mentally, I've made the decision that I love God, but there's nothing about my life that feels love for God. And God wants to have this this fiery love relationship with us. And so here's the the deal. Knowing this, what what the rabbis did back back then, and still doing it today, is they, they did this practice, okay? They called it putting a fence around the Torah, putting a fence around the Old Testament, putting a fence around the law of God. And here was the idea is they acknowledged that sin snowballed. So what they did, they reasoned that the best way not to sin was not even to get on the path that could potentially lead to sin. All right, so here's what they did. They said, all right, whatever that thing is that God said, don't do that, we're gonna take 10 big steps back and we're gonna put the fence there. I'm not gonna put the fence on the edge of the cliff. I'm gonna take these steps out and I'm gonna, which is wise, which is started out amazing, which is how, listen, which is how when God said, don't work on the Sabbath, they took these 10 steps back and they said, hey, don't pick up tools on the Sabbath because if you pick up tools on the Sabbath, you're gonna be tempted to work on the Sabbath. Sounds great, good intentions. I wanna live holy, I wanna live set apart, I wanna stay out of the danger zone, right? Started with good intentions, but here's what happened. Over time, the fence kept getting moved back to the point today, listen, to the point today, maybe maybe some, some of you know this, but today on the Sabbath, uh, a Jewish person, they can't add water to a vase of flowers. Uh, you can't turn on a light switch. You can't rub soap to make lather. You can't sharpen a pencil. You can't open an umbrella. You gotta open that thing on Friday, just in case you need it on Saturday. For real, that's what they do. And you can't touch a flashlight why because all these things require energy and so energy requires this which means it's work and so we're gonna keep backing up and what began listen what began as a pure-hearted pursuit of holiness became a legalistic fence guarding party right we gotta guard the fences we gotta make sure the people don't sin. We gotta guard it. And what happened is the Pharisees kept pushing the fence back. Another 10 steps, we're gonna draw a fence there. Another 10 steps, we're gonna draw a fence there. And what happened is eventually the people are like getting choked because, because the fences didn't bring freedom, they brought fear. And here's the idea, guys. God-made fences are a protection, but man-made fences can be a prison. And if you've ever been in that type of church, Come on, if you've ever been in that type of cult, I mean church. (laughs) Everybody's like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. I didn't say you could do that. I didn't approve that. I didn't, come on somebody. I'm I'm not talking to everybody. I'm talking to some of you. That you've come out of that where the guy on the platform rules over your life and says, I know Jesus is your God, but I'm really your God because I'm going to make the rules about your life and what you can do and what you can't do. And what happened was the Pharisees kept imposing themselves, drawing the fences, gotta protect the law, gotta protect the law, gotta protect the law. Where no longer was it about loving God, it was really about loving the fences. Come on, somebody. It wasn't about loving God, it was about loving the fences. And Jesus rebukes them. Mark 7, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in, did you know it's possible to honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from him? Some of us did it in worship just a few minutes ago. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And he says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And some of us need to hear this today, guys. Some of us need to hear this. The first commandment is not to hate sin. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And those are not the same two things. Do you understand this? It is possible to hate sin, but not love God. But it's not possible to love God and not hate sin. Hating sin won't produce a love for God, but loving God will produce a hatred of sin because I wanna ruthlessly attack anything that would try and put out my fire for God. I gotta separate myself from that thing. I gotta attack that thing. And what Jesus is saying right here, he's saying, guys, listen, it's possible to live right on the outside, but be dead on the inside. Right, he says it again. He says in a hundred different ways, Revelation 2. He writes to a church and he says this, I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Listen, you've come out and you're separate and you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. You've persevered, you have patience, you've labored for my namesake and you haven't become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. You've loved your first love. Jesus is saying, you have the deeds, you have the work, you hate all the evil, sinful things, but you don't love God anymore. And listen, God is crying out to us today. He's saying, we have to recapture that fiery love for God. And what Jesus is doing, he's saying, listen, there are two things that will quench your love for God more than anything else. Loose living and legalism. We talked about loose living a minute ago. That's why we got to have the fences. But legalism is just as toxic. Legalism is, listen, if you've ever talked to someone who is obsessed with not sinning, but isn't obsessed with Jesus, you just met a Pharisee. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. No mention of Jesus. That's a religious spirit. You probably came out of a cult. You probably came out of a controlled system. You probably had parents who did this or a pastor who did that, who controlled you. And what they did, they made your entire relationship with God about rules and regulations instead of about relationship and about revival. Yeah. Legalism is different than holiness. Legalism is about protecting the fences. Holiness is about protecting my love for God. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Legal, here's how I'd say it Legalism is living looking at the fence. Holiness is living looking at God. Come on, somebody. Legalism is living looking at the fence. I got to protect the fence. Is the fence okay? Am I not going to sin? I don't know because that's, I, I don't know where the mine is, but it's somewhere over there. I got to make sure I'm there. In fact, I should just take another. In fact, no, no I probably, I, it's somewhere over there. I don't, I just, and we're living constantly looking at the fence, trying not to sin. But legalism is looking at the fence. Holiness is living looking at God. And saying, God, I don't even want to get messed with. Why is my whole life going to be about not sinning? I want my whole life to be about loving God, which keeps me from sin. But living not to sin doesn't keep me loving God. (laughs) Living not to sin just keeps me in legalism. Living to love God keeps me in holiness. In legalism, we're facing the wrong direction. And in legalism, you end up asking dumb questions like, how far is too far? Got any teenagers in a dating relationship? How far is too far, right? That's completely the wrong question. The question is not how close to the minefield can I get before I blow up? The question is how close to God can I get today? The question isn't how close to the edge can I get today? The question is how close to God can I get today? The question isn't how little can I live for God? The question is how much can I live for God? That's what a holy life is about. It's not about how little you can do for God. It's how much you can do for God. That's holiness. That's a holy life. And, and, and listen, just in case we're twisting something, something here. Jesus does not lower the bar. That's a lot of people's message. Oh, it's just grace. Yes, there is grace. And grace forgives us for sin, but maybe even more importantly, grace empowers us over sin. It doesn't just enable us to continue living. It empowers us over sin. It doesn't enable, it empowers. Come on, somebody. Grace does not enable you to sin. It empowers you over sin. It separates us from that thing. And and here's what Jesus does. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus comes on the scene. He says, hey, guys, you've heard it said. Oh, I love it when Jesus does that. Because, you know, he's he's just stoking a fire. Because, you know, the people who said it are still around. He's like, you've heard it said. You have heard it said that you shouldn't murder, but today I tell you, you shouldn't even be angry. He said, you've heard it said that you, shouldn't, that you shouldn't commit adultery, but today I tell you, you shouldn't even lust. Right? Why? Because Jesus is saying, don't live by the minimums. Legalistic life lives by the minimums. Come on, come on. A, a rebellious heart lives by the minimums, but a holy heart says, I wanna live for God. I wanna honor God. I want my whole life to be about God. And for too long, too many Christians have lived by the minimums. And we've misinterpreted the freedom that Jesus brings as a license to sin. And then we wonder why our heart for God is cold. We wonder why our love for God is cold. It's because we're living lives of compromise and just saying, God, forgive me. And so we're living by do's and don'ts instead of revival and relationship. But listen, what would happen if instead of me staring at the fence tomorrow and saying, God, I don't want to sin today. Listen, I talked to so many people and they're like, oh, I sinned this week, I did this. Listen, I'm not saying sin doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is the direction that you're living in matters. What if instead of me staring at the fence all day and keeping the fence, making sure the fence was okay. There's wisdom in saying, hey, I need a fence. But in fence tending, what if instead of me living that way, I actually turned? I said, God, instead of me asking, how can I not sin today? What I'm going to say is, God, how can I live for you today? God, how can I love you more today? God, how can I be a blessing to the world today? How can I share the gospel today? How can I grow the kingdom today? How can I forgive other people when they've wronged against me today? How can I pay other people's debts today? How can I get involved in your work today? Because I don't wanna just live tending the fences. I wanna live a holy life in the freedom. Listen, God in the garden said, you can have it all, but stay out of that. And too many of us are focused on the one thing that we can't have, I can't do that. Instead of saying, God has given me all this, this life freedom, this life of joy, this this life of ecstasy in God. And I want to tend that. I want to dive into that. Today is the day to rekindle your love for Jesus. Do the things you did at first. That's what he says in Revelation 2. He says, you've lost your first love. Go back. Do the things you did at first. I don't want me and Jesus to be like an old married couple who take each other for granted. Right, we don't go on dates anymore, we like, I told her I loved her when I got married, you know what I'm saying, I don't have to tell her. Ever. Okay. Told Jesus I loved him when I got saved, don't have to tell him again. No, I wanna have a vibrant love for God. I wanna remember the things I did at first. Come on, can you go there for a second? If you're born again today, if you're born again online, what did you do at first? You remember that joy, you remember that, that excitement What did you do at first? Man, I know I jumped into scripture and I read it like it was the first time I had ever read it because it was, I had never read it before. And so everything I'm reading, it's, it's, it's fresh bread to me. It's alive. I know one of the first things, as I start pushing away from sin, because I'm like, I'm, I'm experimenting. I'm finding out every time I sin, like, I don't, oh, this thing feels like a zombie on the inside of me. So I don't want that. I didn't know all the fences and everything, but I said, just said, God, whatever it is, I want to push away from that. And so God started revealing to me, I had a huge anger problem. And he started connecting it back to the music that I listened to. And so you know what I did? One of the first things that I did in college, I had, at that time, we all listened to CDs, God bless the Lord. I had a CD breaking party. That's what I did. It wasn't enough to throw them away. I wasn't gonna sell them. Come on, somebody. You don't sell your sin to make money off of it. I have this uh, collection of exotic, erotic movies. I'm gonna sell those because I don't want them in my life anymore. No, I had stuff that was toxic and it was poisonous. And so I remember when I was done, I broke like 150 CDs. Yeah, I had a lot of I issues. And I remember the cuts all over my hand, but they were the most beautiful cuts I had ever seen in my entire life. Because it was, it, was it was this sign that I'm done with that. I'm done with that. And it wasn't, it wasn't about like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of that. No, no, what it was saying is this thing's toxic to my walk with God. And every time I leave a session of music, I don't feel closer to God. In fact, I feel much further away from it. And I don't even just feel further away from him. I feel angry. I, f- I feel different than how God wants me. I-, I-, I started pursuing sexual purity, and it was an uphill struggle. I started pursuing that. Um, um, when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, started praying in tongues. So I said, I, I want to do anything that's God. I started telling other people about Jesus. I exchanged that old music for new music. I sat in my room, and especially back then, Christian music was so bad. <laughs> I was like, oh God, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I'm gonna do it. I just sat in his presence. I'm like, all right. Sometimes I had to turn it off. Is that bad. But I remember those early days. I would just sit in God's presence. I would laugh. There was just so much joy. What did you do at first? Do those things again. Recapture fiery love for Jesus. Matthew 5 eight. the pure in heart will see God. Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's the greatest joy of life is knowing God, loving God and being loved by God. And I wanna ruthlessly attack anything that would ever stand in the way of that, try and throw water on that. So why does holiness matter? Why does it matter? It's because God wants to save me. God wants to love me. Last thing is this, God wants to send me. God wants to send me. See, guys, the reason why we get into sin and stay in sin is—is—is is, is Christians is because we lose vision for why God put us on this earth to begin with. And we just kind of sink into life with everybody else. And we don't realize, we don't remember, we don't put before us that God has put a fence between life and death and said, I urge you to choose life and come out from them and be separate. But here's the deal. Here's what we have to remember. I'm not just called to come out and be separate. Y'all remember what the definition of kadosh is? Y'all remember? It's set apart what? For a special purpose. Listen, I'm not just set apart for the sake of being set apart. God doesn't just take me, put me on a shelf, and it's like, there you are. No, I'm set apart for a special purpose. I'm set apart from the world to God for a special purpose, 2 Timothy 2. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. And the question is this, which one do you wanna be? Some are for special purposes, and some are for common use. Come on, somebody. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, for special purposes, but also wood and clay for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, from being, from being wood and clay of common use, will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Do you wanna be useful for the master, prepared to do any good work? If so, you have to stop spending your life on common uses. You ought to come out and be separate. Come on, too many of us, we're lending our ears to common uses. We're lending our eyes to the same things that the world does. We're putting our hands to the same thing that the world does. See, guys, coming out from them and being separate, to the Hebrew people, yes, that was actually a physical command. Come out from them and be separate. To us, it's a spiritual command. God today, listen, God is not calling you to, to, to leave the world and go join a convent in the desert. We're not gonna start victory convent, all right? That's not gonna happen, We just come and live here and we just have Christian utopia. That's not what we're going for. That's not what God's going for, okay? God is looking for people who are set apart for his special purposes that he can send to invade the world with the kingdom of God, But these have to be people who are not giving their lives to common uses, or else what sets you apart from everybody else? Come on, somebody. What sets us apart? If we're living for the blue check mark on Instagram, come on. If we're living for the promotion, if we're living for the extra vacation house, if we're living for the next this and the next that and more of this, like everybody else is, why would God send us to those people? Because you're not any different. God says, stop giving your life to common uses. Come out, be set apart for special purposes. I am set apart. Listen, not to fit in, but to stand out. And for too long, Christianity and our generation has tried to fit in. Listen, we've tried to make Jesus cool. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that, but listen, it is when we compromise being set apart. You are called not to fit in. You're called to stand out, to be different. Listen, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were different. They were set apart. Come on, David and Deborah and the prophets were different. You better believe Jesus was different. John the Baptist was different. The apostles were different. The disciples were different. Paul was different. Yes, he tried to be, be, become all things to all people, but never at the compromise of crossing the fence. He entered into people's world. He entered into people's lives. He tried to make the gospel relevant, but it was always the gospel with something different than where they were at. And he said, my life is set apart from a special purpose. I'm with you, but I'm not like you. Come on, I'm, I'm in it, but I'm not of it. And so therefore I can come into a dark place and I don't become dark. In fact, the light that I carry into the darkness makes the darkness light because I'm set apart for a special purpose. They're all fully engaged in the work of the kingdom in their generation. And God is calling us to do the same thing, to be in it, but not of it. I came across this quote a while back. God can do more through one person who is 100% dedicated to him than through 100 who are only 90%. And God, the scripture testifies to that. God is looking for people who would come out and be set apart for his special purposes. Listen, you don't have to have it all mapped out, You don't, but here's what I'm saying. Without a vision, people cast off restraint. So here's the question. What is a picture of you set on fire with love for Jesus, separated from sin, God emancipating his greatness in you, living in your gifts and your passions, your purpose? What does that picture look like? Come on, even just in your mind's eye, what does it look like to fulfill ultimately what God has called me to do with my life? I don't have to have the full picture, but I have to think forward. Why? Because sin never thinks long-term. Sin always says now. And so you have to have a vision that's bigger than the immediacy of sin, or else like Esau, you will sell your whole future for a bowl of soup. God, what is a picture of me, righteous, living, holy, on fire for Jesus? Jesus. Come on, involved in the work of the kingdom, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, seeing the kingdom of God come, the light invade the darkness. What does that look like? I got to have a picture of that because when sin comes in with a bucket of water, I got to say, no, man, I'm not going into that minefield. And I'm not even going to live looking at that minefield. I'm going to live looking at God. Sin wants to come in and ruin it all, but God has called us to be holy. God has called us to be holy. Here's the last scripture, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Come on, somebody. I know what the world wants to say about you. I don't know where the enemy wants to take you, but listen, you are a chosen people. You are made for a special purpose. You are a holy nation, you' are a royal priesthood. You are not like everybody else. When you say yes to Christ, God separates you from that mess and actually says, "Now, I've not only saved you, but I'm carving you apart for special purposes to send you back in to the mess that you came from to save others. Now you get to carry the light into the darkness. Don't be like, "The darkness be set apart from it. You're a special people, you're holy, you're chosen, you're righteous, you're pure." And God has made you perfect forever. And now he's making you holy. He's making you holy. So let's repair the fences. Come on, let's get our love for God back. And let's be set apart, not only from the world, but to God for his special purposes, for the sake of the kingdom and the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Hey guys, here's, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna press into this moment right now. And for the first time in over a year, we're gonna take communion together. So if you're down at the end of an aisle, you see the white bucket there, um, grab the one that has the communion elements in it. And once you pass that down, don't come out. And here's what I'd say, if if today, if you're a follower of Christ, or you say today, I wanna become one, I'm gonna make that very clear. If you say, today I'm a follower of Christ or today I wanna become one, I wanna invite you to partake in communion with us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this, what we call the Last Supper. These are elements, our representation of it. And he shared it with his friends. It was a beautiful moment, I wish I had been there but we get to remember it right here. And he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat, and often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me, and so let's pray over the bread. God, I thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that the Holy One has come. Hmm. Holiness is about separating. And so God, right now, as we hold the bread in our hands, what we remember is by his stripes we are healed, that he separated us from sickness and disease. We believe that, that there's power in the name of Jesus. And so right now, God, we speak that healing power, God, against cancer, against depression, against any ailment in the body, the mind, the heart, the bones, or the blood. We say, be healed in Jesus' name. And it's because of the price that was paid in his body. And so let's take, eat, and do it in remembrance of him. <sighs> then Jesus took the cup and he poured it and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is how we're made right with God. Not on your good works, not on your legalism, not in your fence tending. It's because of what Jesus has already accomplished for us. And we're actually told to do this. It says, whenever we we take and we dream, we need to do a heart inventory. We need to do a heart check. We need to ask God, is there any wicked way in me? Is there any way that I've been violating the fences, wandering in the minefield? If so, I'm gonna repent of that. And so we're gonna take a moment right here. Let's, let's take inventory of the heart. God, you're calling us out. You're calling us to be separate. God, I pray even right now over cold hearts. God, that you would rekindle our love for Jesus. Set us on fire once again. God, for for those of us who who are stepping into faith in Christ, God, you're calling us to come out from the darkness and be separate. And there are hearts that are responding to that. So I wanna honor this moment. This is a holy moment. It's a sacred moment. It's a set apart moment as God is calling you to be set apart. So I wanna lead you in a prayer. And if today, if you say, "Hey, I'm coming into faith in Jesus, however you would articulate that, you're saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I I wanna lead you in a prayer. And it goes like this, repeat after me with your own lips. Say, Jesus, today, I put my faith in you and not in myself. You are God, I am not. You are holy and you're calling me to be holy. So today I respond and I leave the darkness. I repent of my sin and I come into the light to go your way, not just for a Sunday, but for the rest of my life. You are my Lord, my Savior, my King forevermore. Thank you for the blood that you spilt for the forgiveness of my sins. And I take this cup and I do it in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name. There's another small bucket there on the end of the aisle. I take that, pass that down. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend our final few minutes with Jesus just in a holy moment. Everything with the whole gamut of what we've talked about from redrawing our fences to coming out of legalism, coming into love and being set apart for a special purpose. Just allow it to wash over you. Maybe God's highlighting something to you. Just spend the next few minutes just saying, just me and Jesus, we're gonna gonna talk about this, we're gonna work on this, and I'm gonna go your way, because I am perfect, but I'm being made holy. In Jesus' name,